The following episode of Murphy contains violence and strong language. Murphy, created by Alexandra Monroe. Episode 3, There Existed an Addiction to Blood, written by Derek Sherry. Dreams are coming back. I never knew what they meant. I had them for years. Murphy and I's kids, playing by the pond in my parents' backyard until I'd fall in. It felt more real this time. The cold water all around me. Murphy screams from the surface. I could have sworn I felt someone's hands around me this time, though. It was hard to tell if they were hers pulling me up towards the surface, or if they were a different pair entirely, dragging me to the bottom. I'd almost forgotten about the dreams, until Murphy showed up again. I'd almost forgotten about her for a while. I thought she'd been my imaginary friend. I don't know why I couldn't remember her until I saw her at the station. Sometimes I wonder... Do I need therapy? Murphy, do I need therapy? Everyone needs therapy. But yes, I assume you do. I smell coffee. Hmm. You've tidied up a bit since the last time I was here. Yeah, I got a little self-conscious. But then I saw your flat and I felt a little better. Ha ha. You ever read all the books on your shelf? Most of them I have indeed read, yes. Hmm. Good for you. I can't remember the last time I read a book that wasn't in Latin or hieroglyphics. What are you doing here, Murph? It's not even 9.30 yet. You don't have anywhere to be, do you? Well, I... No. Oh, wow, no, I don't. I completely forgot. Well, we do now. I got this in the post yesterday. You and a guest are cordially invited to a reading and conversation with... Murphy, holy shit! Mm -hmm. Keep reading. Right. With Jonathan Roxburgh, best-selling mystery novelist. Reading from his new thriller, Witch's Pond. Hosted at the... At the University of Bucharest... That seems a little out of the way. You have a whole shelf full of Roxburgh's books, and you're going to complain about where you're going to meet him? Uh, No, not at all. Is this... Are you asking me to go with you? Yes, dummy. Of course I am. Keep reading. Okay. 22nd July, 7pm. Moderated by Professor Maris Adeline. Open bar reception to follow. Oh, I see. Because of the open bar. That's... 
only half the reason this time. Professor Ardeline invited me personally. He was a mentor to me when I was training for Parliament. He was almost like my substitute father. I haven't seen him in nearly 15 years. Well then, this is great. It'll be a nice reunion for you two, right? I'm not so sure. Now read these. They came with the invitation. All right. Three different women murdered in the Boldu Grotesque Forest over the past 20 years. Maria Bolton, Farms, Lena Furner, Body of Serana had. There doesn't seem to be any connection between them. Not in newsprint, at least. I have a feeling that Professor Ardeline sees it differently. Well, the reading is tomorrow. We'd have to leave practically right now. We want to get there on time. Brilliant observation, Detective. Our flight leaves in three hours, so start packing. You already got tickets. They came with the invitation. Professor Ardeline thought of everything. Oh, uh, right. I'll get my suitcase. You still haven't told me what exactly Parliament is, by the way. Hell, what about my plants? I can't just leave them here for a holiday. I thought of that actually. Hi, Elliot. Good morning, fish girl. Jack, you said you needed me for a uh, secret mission. We took off from Ruffith Airfield for the three-and-a-half-hour flight to Bucharest. Murphy had knocked out before the plane had even taken off, as if the pre-flight announcements in both English and Romanian had lulled her to sleep. But I couldn't seem to rest as easy as she could. Would you like anything from the trolley cart, sir? If you have coffee, that'd be lovely. Of course. Cream and sugar? Yes, please. Two creams and... Well, as much sugar as you're willing to give me. Cheers. I didn't have much time to pack, but I'd put a couple books in my carry-on bag, a couple of Roxburgh's novels that I'd ask him to sign if I got the chance, The Pale Horse by Agatha Christie, a copy of Dracula. I hadn't read that one in a while. I used to love reading monster stories growing up. But after Murphy and her family left, I couldn't get myself to pick them up again. Now that she was back, I figured it wouldn't hurt to give them another go. I cracked Dracula open and read for a while. Ladies and gentlemen, our flight is experiencing some slight turbulence as we pass through a storm. There's no need to worry. We will be through the storm within the next five minutes. Thank you for your cooperation. Suddenly, I remembered. I'm trapped in a metal box almost 11 kilometers in the air, barreling right through a lightning storm, and here I am, with my neck pillow, reading a bloody book. Yet I couldn't even look at a large body of water without fighting off a panic attack. Am I mental? I looked over at Murphy, a mask over her eyes, leaning back into her seat, the picture of unconscious bliss. 
What does she dream about? What do the memories of her childhood look like? As the cabin shook again, a little harder than the first time, it was like she was made of stone. I suppose once you've dedicated your life to studying the things most people have nightmares about, there's nothing that can keep you up anymore. I picked up my book again, almost allowing myself to get immersed, but I caught myself glancing at Murphy one more time. She was perfectly still, breathing softly, her hand curled into such a tight fist her knuckles had turned white. Professor Ardeline had booked us a room at the Matisse for the weekend, just a quarter mile from the college. It was an old town, the heart of the city, which all but guaranteed that we'd be dealing with something much worse than a cryptid or a potential serial killer. Tourists. Slow walkers, stopping every four steps to take blurry pictures, standing in the middle of oncoming traffic like meerkats, or worse, morons. The trip from the airport, which should have taken us 20 minutes, ended up taking over half an hour, all because of the geriatric sightseers who apparently had never seen really old buildings before. The room was nice. Very nice, actually. But right away, we had a problem. There's only one bed? Oh, jeez. That's okay. There's a pull-down on the sofa, right? I'll just sleep there. No, that's okay. I, I can't sleep on anything too soft. I'll-, I'll take the sofa. Are you sure? You're a true gentleman, Jack. My shining knight. But I call dibs. Ah, well, can't argue with that. Are you excited? I mean, I don't really read anything from this century... Or the last century, really, so... I meant excited to see your mentor again. Oh, yeah. It should be nice. Maybe. We'll see. I don't know. I think you've earned a holiday. It's a business trip, Jack. Nobody sends you newspaper clippings of cold cases if they don't think there's something more to it. Something that they've missed that they think maybe you won't. I understand. I'm sorry. For what? I'm working. That doesn't mean you have to. Make it a holiday. Go enjoy your newfound freedom. I could see the gears in Jack's head turning when I said that, like he was trying to analyze me. Once a cop, always a cop, I guess. Right then, I think I'll walk around. There are some gardens around here that are supposed to be quite lovely. Mm Mm-hmm. Send me a postcard. Don't get lost. I'll have my phone on me if you need anything. See you for dinner. I waited until I couldn't hear his footsteps down the hall before I started to unpack. I wasn't entirely sure what to bring, so I brought a little of everything. Holy water, crucifixes, silver, anything that would fit into my suitcase. I'd also bought a dress for the reading, which I hated, but I knew it was going to be a fancy thing, so I sucked it up and got it. I just didn't want Jack to say anything about it. Ardeline hadn't told me exactly what his hunch was, and the articles he'd sent didn't seem connected in any way, other than the fact that they were all women in the Boldu Grotesca forest. Maria Bogdan, our latest victim, was found two months ago. Either no other details had been made public since then, or something was being covered up. But why did Ardeline think he needed my help? I looked more into the forest that the bodies were found in. Surprise, surprise, it's haunted! 
Well, not the whole forest, just a pond. The witch's pond, they call it. It's supposed to have a very powerful, dark energy that enhances the power of certain spells. Rumor has it that Vlad the Impaler was beheaded here. So, were Maria and the other victims witches, overcome by spells gone wrong? Is that Ardalene's hunch? Or does he know something that he isn't telling me? The night of the reading, we got to the college too late to find a seat close to the front. I had told Jack he could go before me if he wanted a good spot, but he insisted on waiting for me. I think he just saw the dress hanging in the bathroom and wanted to see if I'd actually put it on. Are you ready? Holy shit, Mav. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't even know you owned a dress. I don't. Well, you look great. You're very kind. Now stop staring at me like that and let's go, before we have to stand in the back. Right, I wouldn't want to stand in heels either. Heels? What am I, the fucking queen? I'm wearing my boots. (laughs) Okay, good. I was starting to think you weren't the real Murphy. No, you would know if I was a changeling. Come on. A what? Wait, what is that? Murphy? There were no seats available next to each other, so Jack offered to take a seat towards the back. I wouldn't want to get in the way of your reunion. I scanned the crowd for Dr. Ardeline, but there was no sign of him. I sat back down in my seat, wedged in between what looked like the same gaping tourists on the street, and stared ahead at the empty stage. Two lounge chairs and a coffee table, a cordless microphone resting on each seat. A banner behind the stage read, Bun venit, Jonathan Roxburgh. Suddenly the lights dimmed. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the stage distinguished professor of literature, Marius Ardeline, and acclaimed mystery novelist, Jonathan Roxburgh. Thank you and welcome. And thank you, Jonathan, for being here tonight. It's my pleasure. I have to say, your new book, Witch's Pond, is very good. Some of your best work so far in a very eventful career. Well, that's very kind of you. I know we're all very excited to hear an excerpt from the book later, but I was wondering if you elaborate on what influenced you while you were writing it. Everything seems to flow very naturally for your characters. I'm sure you conducted a lot of research. Of course. I'm sure you already know this, Professor, but there's a very rich history of magic in Romania. A history of witches who still practice here today. I was especially intrigued by some of the darker aspects of practicing magic, which, if you've read enough of the work I've put out over my career, should come as no surprise. I've always had an affinity for the spooky and supernatural, I'd say. Well then, being so close to Transylvania seems like a natural fit for you. I'd like to talk about the title, Witch's Pond. I assume that is a reference to the pond in Bodesti just a half hour out of the city. That's right. I'm actually sort of embarrassed. 
I've lived in Romania for almost 20 years, and I hadn't heard about it before I started doing my research. I understand it's quite popular in the practicing community here. Yes, it certainly makes for an interesting story. A pond not even five meters wide in the middle of a forest, carrying within it a great evil. I like to think the evil comes not from the pond, but from the people who use it. I use it as a mirror. All the characters in the book hold the mirror up to themselves, and it cracks. They see what the pond is, what it does. Their innermost fears build up until it overflows in unfortunate ways for the people around them. I must admit, that gave me chills. <laughs> it seems like a fitting segue into our reading, yes? Well, how can I say no to a response like that? Where should I read from? If you don't mind, I found this passage to be particularly exciting. Page 73. Oh, well this part is quite graphic. Are we sure we'd like to hear it? Detective Tepesh stepped under the yellow tape, just off the path, and made his way over the brush. The pond, he had been told, was just on the other side. When he finally saw the body halfway in the murky water, he stopped. From where Tepesh was standing, he felt a cold wind run down his spine, uncommon on a blistering day in mid-August. Pull her out all the way, he said, not to anyone in particular. He turned his back as two officers fished her out. The forensics team moved in right away to examine the body. Young. Female. Between 18 and 24 years of age, medium height, wearing what appeared to be a robe, red with floral patterns. Rings glistened on her fingers, and bracelets caught the algae floating on the surface of the pool. Tepesh looked at the skirt of the young woman's dress as forensics worked not knowing how to admit to himself that he was afraid to look at her face. After nearly three decades on the job, twelve as a homicide detective, the shock of seeing a dead body had long left him. But this one felt different to him, somehow. Detective, the head forensics investigator beckoned. I think you should look at this. Tepesh stepped forward and crouched beside the young man. What is it? he asked. The man delicately flipped over the woman's arm and showed Tepesh a small mark on the inside of her wrist, where her veins used to run, no bigger than the prick of a needle. It seemed, and yet, the body was ice cold. I don't believe it, sir, said the forensic specialist, but her body had been completely drained of blood. I ran those words over in my head, the words Ardeline had picked for him. I looked to the professor as he read and found him staring directly back at me. He had found me after all. And suddenly, I understood.
I found Murphy out at the reception, standing on the wall and scanning the room for her mentor. She almost didn't notice me standing right next to her, a strong drink in each hand. Oh, thank you. That passage was eerie. Not very pleasant, no. Even Roxburg looked a little disturbed, didn't he? I noticed that too. He wrote the thing, but still he looked surprised. From where I was sitting, I could see the color kind of drain from his face. Not that there was much color there to begin with. Have you seen him yet? No, he must be in his office or something. Well, it doesn't look like Roxburgh's out here yet either. Do you think they'll make an appearance? I'm not sure. Should we keep waiting? Shit, is he even gonna recognize? Hello, Marlene, my darling girl. Professor Ardeline. Hello again. Just Marius, please. No need to be formal. Of course, Marius. You haven't changed a bit. Well, you look wonderful. You've grown up quite a bit. And this is your partner. Jack Sherwood, sir. Pleased to meet you. Did you enjoy the reading? It was fine. I'm not much of a reader these days. That's quite all right. I expect you've been working too hard to have any time to read anyways. Now that you mention it, I'm starting to think this is more of a business trip than a holiday. You would be correct. I'm so sorry we can't meet under better circumstances, but you received everything I included with the invitation, no? I did, yes. Do you think there's a bigger connection to those cases? I do, but I'm the only one at this point. Everyone who's worked the first case thinks I'm crazy. Why? What are you thinking? Why don't you meet me at my home tomorrow, say, nine? Here's the address. I'll have a file and some breakfast waiting for your arrival. Okay, Marius. My partner will come with me, is that okay? Of course, my girl. We'll need all the help we can get, and he's also quite handsome. I don't think I'd ever seen Murphy blush before. That was new. It's nothing like that. He's just... okay, anyway. We'll be there tomorrow at nine. Thank you, Madeline. You don't know how much this means. Just Murphy. No need for formalities, right? So, what's the plan? The plan is, I'm getting out of this dress, and I'm getting a real drink. We start work tomorrow. We made our way back out through the old town, where nightlife had taken over. There was a dance club on every corner, it seemed. It was almost like they blended into the rest of the city during the day, but by night, it was a whole new place entirely. Are there no pubs around or anything? Doesn't look like it. If you're in Bucharest to party, then you're really here for it. Well, where do you want to go? Wherever seems the least crowded. They all look pretty packed. Wait. Holy shit, Murph, look! I had spotted none other than Jonathan Roxburgh standing on the wall of a club. Oh, shit. Well, now we've got to go there. I'm not sure, Jack. Please. I'm still sad that I didn't get him to sign my book. Ugh, okay. But let me approach him first. I don't want you scaring him off by drooling over him. That's fair. Okay. Excuse me. You're Jonathan Roxburgh, aren't you? I'm afraid so, yes. 
Oh my god, hi! We just went to your reading, and it was amazing. Thank you so much. My name is Murphy. Uh, this is my friend Jack. Ah, yes! We're both huge fans! Ah, you have a firm and sweaty handshaker. Well, thank you for coming. I do hope you'll buy the I've book. already pre-ordered it. I am very excited. Lovely to meet you. You as well, also. I don't know why I felt compelled to turn around when we stepped inside, but before I could realize what I was doing, I had already turned back. Mr. Roxburgh, would you want to come inside? We'll buy you a drink. Jack, what are you doing? It's quite all right. If you're inviting me, I would love to. Okay, great. I didn't think that would work. Yeah, it sounds like you weren't thinking. I held the door open for Jonathan Roxburgh as he passed, and for a moment, I thought I felt a shift. A change in temperature, maybe? I couldn't put my finger on it. We walked into the club, and, uh... Well, that's kind of where my night ended. The next morning, I woke up in the bathtub of my hotel room, still dressed for last night, covered in vomit. Good morning, sweet prince. How are we feeling? Like that toilet is too bright and your hair is too loud? Why am I in the tub? Because that's where you passed out last night? You got extremely drunk. I did? Oh, I feel like I'm actively being hit by a train. Yeah, probably. I have coffee and hot sauce waiting for you in the living room. Get up, clean off, we gotta get going. I lifted myself out the tub as gingerly as I could. The room felt like it was swaying and my head felt like it was being cracked open. I've no clue how I could have lost control like that. Professor Ardeline lived about 20 minutes outside the city. We took the bus to Rosu and hailed a cab to his flat. I know. I'm sorry. Fata mea. I was worried you've gotten lost. Hello, Marius. How do you do, Sam? Are you alright? You look ill. Nothing some coffee can't fix. Can we come in? I'd like to know what you thought of Roxburg. He seems very intelligent. He's also quite charming. We ran into him last night. You did? He didn't do anything to you, did he? No, I was too tough for him. Jack, however... What? What about me? He kept buying you drinks. He was probably hoping you'd pass out somewhere so that we could be alone. Also, he's a vampire. <coughs> Sorry? Come again? I was worried you wouldn't think so. I thought he might have been a witch at first, but there were a couple clues. Would you care to explain? Well, when we first got to the club, Jack invited Roxburgh inside, who at that point had shown little interest in being around us. If you're inviting me, I would love to. As the night went on, I began to notice him putting on a lot of charm. So much, in fact, that I could feel a shift in my energy whenever he looked directly at me. It was obvious that Roxburgh was trying to hypnotize me. You can tell when someone's trying to hypnotize you. I've worked very hard to build up a resistance to spells and other magic. I remember. Parliament was quite extensive with your training. Anyway, I played along after I realized what he was doing. And he got close at one point. Enough for me to take his pulse. Jack, did you notice how cold he felt when you shook his hand? I guess so, yeah. 
Right, well, that's because he didn't have a pulse. Man's dead as hell. He also made it a point to leave before the sun came up. Sorry, Jack, your favorite author's a vampire. Wow. Okay, so this... So this has something to do with those murders? It has everything to do with those murders. Three murders over the past 20 years, all of which occurred near the vicinity of the witch's pond in the Boldu Kretesca forest. Maria Bogdan, Sorana Eder, Adelina Funar. All three of these women were drained of their blood. The articles you sent us never said anything about that. It's because that information wasn't made public. The police were worried about the kind of frenzy a satanic serial killer would cause here, bad for tourism. They sat on a lot of details, and to this day only the people who worked on the case know for sure what happened. So why would Roxburgh have a scene in his new book nearly identical to one of the murders, with information about the case that he shouldn't know about? Marys, how were you involved with the case? I was brought on as a consultant. I was teaching a class at the university about true crime literature. The police had asked me to give them any knowledge about possible motives I thought could be helpful. Could we talk to anyone who worked on it with you? It's highly doubtful. They're either all dead or they think I'm insane. They left it cold years ago, no matter how much I've begged them to keep digging. We believe you, Marius. You are the only ones now. I wouldn't ask this of you unless I was absolutely sure I was right. But I must warn you, this will be dangerous. Can I trust you both to help me? Where would you like us to start? Marius gave us access to all the information he had about Roxburgh and the murdered women. Twenty years of files and clippings, journals and police reports. A lot of the reports were dead ends, but Marius outlined a hunch he had in his journals. The women weren't dead after all, but repurposed by Roxburgh as his brides. With no proof and no leads to follow, though, a hunch was all it was. Somehow, still, I believed him. Jack and I decided to go back to the club and see if anyone there knew anything about our vampire. It was still early, so most of the night shift staff were already long gone. But the bartender from the other night happened to be there, picking up his paycheck. That guy? Yeah, I see him around a lot during the weekends. He's a good customer, and he always tips very well, but I'm not sure I like him very much. Why is that? I just think he's strange. He'll always buy drinks for himself and whatever woman he's talking to, but he'll never drink on his own. Which isn't that strange, I guess, but it just seems like a waste of money. But I guess he can afford it, right? Do you remember seeing any of these women with him? Look, I see a lot of faces every night. I'm not sure if I'll be able to help you all. No, wait a minute. Yeah, I saw her here the other night. Sometime last week, I think. She actually stood out a little. How so? Mostly because she wasn't interested in that guy. She was friendly and polite to him, sure, but she really wasn't taking the bait. I could tell it made him a little angry. Did he do anything to her? Not that I could tell. She left first, and then he left about ten minutes later. And that didn't raise any red flags for you? Lady, people get the cold shoulder here all the time. Most of the time, they get another drink, and they get over it. Well, this wasn't one of those times. This woman was found dead last week. Are you serious? Oh my god. We're just trying to figure out what happened here. Uh, are you guys cops? No. I mean, I am. 
was. Anyways, we're private investigators. You're not going to shut us down, are you? If that's really what you're worried about, then no, you're not getting shut down. But maybe you should pay a little more attention to your clientele before you do. Because the next time someone dies in your club, it's on you. Are you okay, Mav? I'm alright. That guy's just stupid. Maybe getting the police involved would be a good idea. After all they've done to help up until now? Yeah, great idea. Okay, fair. You heard Marius, they don't believe him anyway. It does sound unbelievable to anyone but us, doesn't it? I guess you're right. Let's go tell him what we know. Marius insisted that we meet in a public place. Said he never wanted to be alone or caught off guard just in case Roxburgh was on to him. We rendezvoused at a cafe down the street from the hotel. Are you sure you want that much sugar, Jack? You just gotta let him do it. It's a the whole thing. Why do we do this every time? I don't meet the judge. It's not important. What did you find? Apparently Roxburgh spends a lot of weekends at that club. A bartender there says that he picks up a lot of women, but hasn't noticed anything unusual, other than the fact he doesn't drink anything he buys. The bartender is oblivious, though, so we can't be sure. He did notice our latest victim, though. He says she brushed off his advances and left, which she didn't seem to take very well. He left the bar shortly after she did. And this the last time anyone saw her alive? As far as we know. Do we know where he goes after the club? I haven't found a way to follow him without getting too close to being caught yet. So he knows your own turn? If he didn't know before the reading, Fika, I'm sure he does now. So what's our next move? We could try tailing him. But I don't know if uh, vampires have any kind of sixth sense or anything like that. Nothing like that. A lot of the typical vampire lore is heavily exaggerated. They're very old, very clever creatures, and some of them are very powerful. But for the most part, they're only vessels for a curse. Nothing more. Which means they should be easy to catch, right? You might have missed the part about them being very clever. You don't live for hundreds of years without learning a few tricks. Which means when we finally get the chance to take Roxburg and his ilk on, and I do mean we because you cannot defeat him alone, then it is absolutely crucial that we kill him and end this curse for good. No, absolutely not. I don't kill anything I go after. Even within the shadow of folklore, a living vampire is a dangerous one, especially if he's already turned three others. We cannot give him the opportunity to do it again. Maybe he's right, Math. This guy's clearly no good. There's always another way. I haven't killed a creature since I started this job, and I'm not going to let my mentor, of all people, break that streak. I know that your American training has made you soft, Marilene, but you don't understand. It's Murphy, and I understand perfectly well. I don't know what it was like wherever you disappeared to for the last 11 years, but things are different now. We study these creatures to understand them, to protect them. That's our job. And you don't get to just vanish, to abandon me, and only come back when you want me to play Van Helsing for you. You want me here, you play by my rules. Understand? I'd like to think that shut him up, but he wasn't even looking at me at that point. He'd gone pale, his eyes wide and filling with tears. I thought I'd given him a heart attack for a second until I turned to where he was staring and realized. You're too late. 
Marius was looking right into the eyes of Maria Bakhtin, the woman found dead last week. I tried going after her. I ran as fast as I could, but one of the things about vampires that wasn't made up is that they are fast. All I could do was catch my breath and watch her run down the street, the mid-afternoon sun glaring down on both of us. It took Jack and I a while to bring Marius back to his flat because he was almost hysterical. If we're being honest, it freaked me out too. Seeing a vampire in real life, standing in direct sunlight, was an entirely new experience for me. Creatures with such a cult of personality around them, it's hard to distinguish what about them is the truth. Jack put the kettle on for Marius while I got him to lie down. But all that excitement had him knocked out by the time the water was boiling. So we had tea and waited in silence. The sun's starting to set. Uh-huh. What should we do? Don't know. Doesn't seem like it matters much anyway. She still got away. Have you ever seen one before? A vampire? No. I'd only read about them. Me neither. Well, I... I figured. <laughs> right. I didn't know he left you behind like that. I'm sorry. There's a lot you don't know, Jack. I suppose that's true. He isn't a bad man. He's just... old. Stuck in his ways? Annoying. I got it. Don't worry. They used to call us monster hunters once. I've never liked that word. Monster. I just use it because most times it's easier than calling them anything else. But we haven't hunted anything since the Depression. We're scientists more than anything. That's what Marius doesn't understand. The old guard or whatever, it's archaic and ghoulish and I don't want any part of it. We don't have to lash out at them because we're scared anymore. You're not scared. I mean, every day, are you kidding? But not of them. You think Borgo would want to be a werewolf if he couldn't control when he could transform? There's a monster. It's always the people who don't know what a monster is until they become one. Which is exactly why they should be destroyed, Fatamea. Marius, I'm glad you're feeling better, but I'm not going to argue with you about this. How do you suppose we solve this problem, then? Letting multiple vampires run loose through Bucharest? Turn the witch's bond into a hunting ground for them? We need to keep them contained somehow, obviously, but think, Marius. It had been 20 years since Roxburgh murdered someone before this. Why would he wait that long to do it again? You don't think he'd have killed more people between them just to keep his bloodlust under control? I don't care why. It doesn't matter to me why he did it. It matters that he did. And even if we could track him back to his lair, where there are potentially three more vampires waiting there for him, how would we be able to control all of them? They need to be eradicated, Murphy, as much as you foolishly refuse to understand that. Are those roses on the table, Marius? What? Yes, they're roses. Did you listen to anything I just said? We need to... We need to go back to the club tonight. I might have an idea. So, in chapter 18 of Dracula, there's a passage that reads, The branch of wild rose on his coffin, keep him that he move not from it. A 
sacred bullet fired into the coffin kill him so that he be true dead, and as for the stake through him, we know already of its peace, or the cut-off head that giveth rest. I kind of latched onto the branch of wild rose on his coffin part, and told Mary this when we staked out the nightclub. All we need to do is wait until they all slip back into their coffins and put a rose on each one. Then we can take them somewhere safe and keep them under control, until we figure out why they've been acting out again. Are you serious? This is a real idea you have? It's the best, most humane way I can see us keeping them all together without them being a threat. I got these roses at the market down my street. They're not wild. Writers use artistic license all the time. I'm sure Stoker didn't mean wild in the literal sense. Do you have any better ideas, Marius? No, my girl. I suppose not. Then this is the plan we're stuck with. Might as well go through with it and see if it works. Fine. We'll try it your way. But if anything goes wrong, if this plan of yours falls apart as I suspect it will, then I'm taking care of him myself. We can cross that bridge when we get to it. Look, he's leaving the club. And look who's with him, Miss Bogdan. I hope that dipshit bartender isn't working tonight. That's his SUV. Don't get too close. Roxburgh took us 30 minutes outside Bucharest, down winding roads and dense forest, until we reached a house tucked away in a clearing. I didn't realize it until we had arrived, but we had been taken to the Bodu Grotesca forest. How long do we wait? Until the sun comes up. I thought the sunlight didn't bother them. Yeah, but a late night out partying might. Let's just wait it out. Right, okay. What time is it? 3.55 a.m. Oh, God. Okay. And so, we waited. For hours. I've done stakeouts before, but they never seemed this high stakes. <laughs> Sorry. They were never this serious. I could hardly sit still. Marius, at least, seemed perfectly calm. I couldn't tell what Murphy was thinking, not that that was a surprise. When we could finally see some semblance of daylight, we made our move. We won't have much time to move the coffins. We'll have until they figure out something isn't right. We need to decide where we're taking them. We can take them back to your flat. I don't think the hotel would let us bring four coffins back to our room. How are we supposed to take four life-size coffins with us anywhere? We'll just take Roxburgh's car. It's big enough. Oh. Right, okay. The house smelled like mothballs and dust, which I suppose makes sense. Still, I'd expect better living conditions for a best-selling author, no matter how many hundreds of years old he was. Luckily, the coffins were all neatly lined up in the living room. For an elder gentleman, Marius was surprisingly capable. We had little trouble loading the coffins into the SUV between the three of us. I volunteered to drive the cargo back to Marius' flat, taking care to drive as carefully as I could. I figured Murphy and Marius could use the time alone. Unloading the coffins was decidedly more complicated. What would Marius' neighbors think? Seeing him and two strangers on the street, looking like they just spent all night robbing graves? But if anyone was suspicious, they didn't show it. We were able to get everything into the house without any interruptions. Do we know which coffin is Roxburgh's? 
this one. It's bigger and looks more expensive. Okay. Line the other three up in front of the window. Do you have the roses? Right here. I'll put them on the coffins. Good. Are we ready? Yes. I think so. Okay. Nothing happened at first. I started to worry maybe we'd grabbed empty coffins. Until... Holy shit, it really worked. Well, I'm gonna be honest, I didn't really know if it would. You can congratulate yourselves later. Let's continue. Right. Jonathan Roxburgh, get out of the coffin. What the hell? Get out of the coffin. Where am I? What's going on? Ardeline, where the hell am I? You're in my home. Good morning. Please, sit. Wait a minute. You're that girl from the other night, and her drunk idiot friend. Yeah, and you're a bloody vampire. So which is worse, really? Sit, Roxburgh. You need to explain what is going on here. Ow! What are you doing? Restraining you so you don't try anything you'll regret. We have some questions for you, Roxburgh. We'd appreciate it if you answered them honestly. I don't even know you. Why should I do anything you ask? Because if you don't, you're going to have to explain to your friends why they've turned to piles of ash. <laughs> you're being ridiculous. I thought Maria had clued you in by now. Sunlight has no effect on us. That's true. But this might. No shade in the shadow of the cross, asshole. Are you insane? Put that thing down! Murphy, take it easy. Let's start with the murders. The ones that took place by the witch's pond 20 years ago. If we open these coffins now... Don't! If we open these coffins now, I'm sure we'll find the bodies of Sorana Eder, Adelena Funar, and Maria Bogdan. Is that correct? Yes. Yes, you will. And how did that happen, Roxburgh? Take the roses off the coffins, Jack. What? Marius, take a breath. Raise that crucifix back up and don't you dare lower it again! Jack, no! Jack, don't move. Marius, I need you to think about this. Why are you doing this? Because I want you to say it. Say that it was you! Marius! Why did you turn them, Jonathan? Why not just drain them and move on? I didn't mean to. I didn't even want to drain them, but... I had to. He admits it! It was him! He did it! We have to destroy him! Merlin! Now! Marius, wait. Why? The first two were victims. I was wilder back then. New to... All this. As soon as I was cursed, I came out here and isolated myself. It wasn't long before that hunger became too much. I drained them. But I didn't have the heart to kill them. So I made them what I was. I had been keeping blood here in the house ever since. I'd go to the hospital and steal as many blood bags as I could. It had been enough to last us as long as we needed. Enough to make sure our urges were always under control. What happened to it? Someone took all of it. 
I don't know who or how, and no one knows we live out here, let alone where I keep all the blood. We'd all gone to the club one night, and when we came back, it was gone. I tried to get more, but the hospital must have been tipped off and, and started heavily securing the blood bank. We had no choice but to hunt. I didn't mean to. I'm so sorry. I, I never wanted to. We were just so hungry. He had been so compelling. Not hypnotizing, I don't think. I certainly hope not. But his confession felt particularly human. I had almost missed it when Marys pulled a stake from his coat pocket and lunged at him. Murphy! Wait, wait! Before I could even move, it seemed, Murphy had thrown the cross at Marius, knocking the stake out of his hand. She leapt over the coffins and had him restrained by the time my feet remembered how to move. I think, deep down, all along, Murphy knew he would try it. We decided upon a compromise. Murphy agreed to bring Roxburgh and the others a supply of blood at the start of each week, and they would leave the innocent partygoers of Bucharest alone. To his credit, Roxburgh felt terrible about the entire situation, one that he insisted wasn't his fault directly, but wouldn't elaborate on where exactly the fault lay. He also signed my books before we left, although that took a little more convincing. The only person who didn't seem to be happy or at least satisfied with the arrangement was Marius. You're making a dire mistake by letting them live. I know we're never going to agree on this, and that's alright, but I need you to at least consider that this might be the best outcome for everyone involved. I don't know when you decided to forego the parliament, child, but this is not how we deal with monsters. It is if you're trying to become one yourself. Like it or not, these creatures need help, not pitchforks and torches. I'm sorry you've let the people who did this job before you scare you into believing otherwise. People like your parents. They felt exactly the same way I did, and if they saw who their own daughter had become, they would be almost as disappointed as I am. From the back seat, I could see her. Eyes straight ahead, knuckles turning white against the steering wheel. For the first time since we met, I could tell exactly what she was thinking. I followed her out, and we walked. Mary sped past us without so much as a word. I didn't know what to say for a while, until something finally came to mind. How are we going to get enough blood in a week? I don't know, Jack. The next week was difficult for us, for Murphy. A lot of phone calls to mysterious connections, researching hospitals and blood banks in different towns, going back to the club for more clues, a lot of dead ends. All the while, Marius would call her phone non-stop. We never listened to any of the messages he left besides the first one by mistake. You're letting him get away with this, he said. I'll never forgive you. Every other time, she just let the phone ring. 
Somehow, by some fantastic maneuvering, Murphy was able to do it. I asked how she was able to get it all sorted, but all she said was, Sometimes secrets are better, Jack. We arrived at Roxburgh's with a cooler full of blood, as promised. Maybe it was because it was the middle of the day, but I should have known that something was off. Do you think they're all asleep? Roxburgh told me one of them would be up. We don't have to be invited in, do we? Not that I know of. I think that's just them. What is it? The curtains weren't down when we left last time. What do you mean? Their curtains were nailed into the walls last week. Why would they... <sighs> Roxburgh, where are you? We discovered that the room where the coffins once sat was empty, except for one thing out of place. A bouquet of wild roses, freshly picked, blood dripping from the thorns. Murphy and I had the thought at the same time. Mary's. We reached Mary's as flat as fast as we could, but we were already too late. The door was kicked open, the whole place ransacked. Case files and photographs ripped apart and tossed all over the floor. Maris wasn't there anymore. What happened? Did he run? No, he couldn't have. He wouldn't destroy everything he's worked so hard on. Okay. Okay, let's slow down a second. He knows Roxburgh committed these murders, and how the case he's worked on for most of his life is over. He feels that Roxburgh is getting away with it, which he can't stand. Obviously, he's lashing out, but but none of that explains what happened here or where he could be. Oh, God. Yes, it does. Fuck! What do you mean? The witch's pond. He must have taken them there. She got to the pond first. She saw him first. The coffins were half sunk in the pond, nearly empty, except for two of them. Identical silver stakes stuck out of the satin lining, covered in ash. The body of Dr. Marius Ardeline, halfway between the water and the shore, had another stake plunged between his shoulder blades. Fucking hell. Oh my god, Marius, you stupid old man. I... I'm... Murphy, I don't... Oh my god. Idiot, you fucking idiot. I'm so sorry. I've... I've been to plenty of crime scenes. Murders, house fires, whatever. You learn to stomach it after time. But this? This was the worst thing I think I've ever seen. My childhood friend holding the body of her mentor, frantically pulling him out of the water, totally lost in grief and rage. We almost missed it when something fell out of his hand. Murphy, look. What? What is that? A a coin? I... That was a new one. Seeing her scared. I used to think nothing could shake Merlin Murphy. But seeing how she looked at the emblem in her hand, it was like I was having that dream again. Feeling those icy hands wrap around me, dragging me towards the bottom of the water again. I know this symbol. Only this time, she was coming with me. 
Murphy, Episode 3, There Existed an Addiction to Blood, was written by Derek Sherry and directed by Alexandra Monroe. Featured in the cast were Emma Grace Myers as Merlin Murphy, Dan Vasquez as Jack Sherwood, Drew Burt as Elliot O'Donnell, Olivia Grady as The Siren, Addie Jenkins as Jonathan Roxburgh, and Francis Pache Nunez as Marius Ardeline. Also featured in the cast were Anton Correa, Elisa Elisio, Daniela Franceschetti, Angela Strauman, and Lucas Yedman. Murphy was produced by Alexandra Monroe and Annie V. Dialect Coaching by Anton Correa. Music, Sound Design, and Music Supervision by Dennis S. Mowers. Songs featured in Murphy Episode 3 include Midnight Meringue by Nicholas Almos and In Kuluri by Alex Kravitz. Production and post-production were realized by Dennis S. Mowers Music, LLC, in Brooklyn, New York. This is Alexandra Monroe.